Happy Resurrection Sunday. He's alive. Amen? Amen. Well, in case we haven't met, my name is Dave Morris. I'm the pastor here at Hillside Christian Fellowship. We're thrilled that you have chosen to come and spend Sunday morning on Easter with us here at Hillside Christian Fellowship. Well, we're going to dive right in. Today's message is about three hours long. It's really not that long. We're condensing it. Uh, we are, in our normal Sunday mornings, we walk through the Bible, book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and in our normal study, we are in Exodus chapter 17. So I would encourage you, if you have your Bibles, to turn with me to Exodus chapter 17, and we'll keep our fingers there in Exodus 17. And we will be navigating to the New Testament in just a little bit. Today's title, or today's message sermon title, is Sticks and Stones. It really is part two of a two-part series where Sticks and Stones, part one was last Sunday on Palm Sunday. They cut palm branches, and the rocks would cry out if the people didn't. So we have some sticks and we have some stones. That was part one. Today, we're going to be looking at three different sticks or trees, if you will, branches, and we're gonna be considering four stones. So some sticks and some stones, and each of these will be revealing or be connected to three miracles found in God's Word. One in the New Testament, well, one in the Old Testament, one in the New Testament, and one kind of miracle that is happening up to and including even today. And so that's where we're looking at and that's where we'll be. Some quick reminders about this book, The Holy Bible. By just way of reminder, this book was written by over 40 authors. There were 40 people who penned the words in their original language. Three languages primarily used, Hebrew, some Aramaic, and Greek, Koine Greek. But there is really one author because the Word of God tells us that all Scripture is God-breathed. The Holy Spirit moved upon men back in the day, and they wrote as the Spirit gave utterance or as the Spirit gave them inspiration. So there is one theme that is carried throughout the entirety of the Old Testament and the New Testament. Some 66 books written over a time period of 1,500 years, a book with perfect harmony, and it is without error, and it is infallible. This book is God's holy word. And so, in the Old Testament, some 39 chapters 4,000 years of the ethnos history of humanity, it all is pointing to a singular event, an event that we're literally commemorating on this day, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The entire New Testament and up to today is actually a post-shadow of that one event. The 4,000 years before the event, a foreshadow pointing. It's like that early morning sun coming up. 
And that shadow, if you will, cast is a foreshadow. Then at high noon, the event, there's no shadow. Then at the end of the day, there is the post-shadow. And that's the time that we are living in for the event was that which changed our calendar. Anno Domini was the birth, and then some 33 years later, we have the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, and then three days later, after he had been buried in the tomb, he rose from the dead, hallelujah. And so, we're gonna start in that foreshadow time. And the stories and the historical record we have in the Old Testament they point toward that event. In fact, Paul writing in the New Testament tells us those things happen. These things in the Old Testament, they happened. They're not allegory. They're not some made-up story. They are actual historical events. They occurred, and they were written down for our admonition. In other words, their instruction to us the Greek word for example there is the word typos or tupos. Tupos, that word literally means a foreshadowing of a future event. So with that being said, we're gonna look at Exodus chapter 17, the first seven verses. Exodus chapter 17, the first seven verses. It says, then all the congregation of the children of Israel set out on their journey from the wilderness of sin according to the commandment of the Lord and camped in Rephidium. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people contended with Moses and said, give us water that we may drink. This is a recurring occurrence. They've been without water already once before. You know, in the wilderness of Seir, three days of travel, they ran out of water after passing through the Red Sea. Three days, no water, and God did a miracle there. God is about to do another miracle for the children of Israel. So Moses said to them, why do you contend with me? Why do you tempt the Lord? The tempting of the Lord that they were doing, they were actually by their actions and their words, they were making declaration that they did not believe in their hearts that God was with them. They had walked through the Red Sea. They had seen water that was bitter literally turned to sweet water that they could drink. And in their hearts and in their minds, they've seen some amazing, I mean, they saw the 10 plagues back in Egypt. They've seen a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. They've seen God is with them. And now they're out of water and they're like, man, where's God? Where's God? We have no water. Give us something to drink. And they're complaining in their hearts and they are disgruntled. And Moses challenges them, why are you tempting the Lord as if he is not with us? And the people thirsted there for water, verse three says. And the people complained against Moses and said, why is it that you have brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord saying, what shall I do with this people? 
Maybe you felt that way once or twice when someone's complaining to you. You might have thought, man, what am I going to do? Well, Moses is no much different than you and I. What am I going to do with these folks? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, go on before the people and take with you some of the elders of Israel. Also take in your hand your rod with which you struck the river and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock in Horeb. And you shall strike the rock and water will come out of it that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders. So he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the contention of the children of Israel and because they tempted the Lord saying, is the Lord amongst us or not? Is the Lord amongst us or not? So the first stick and the first stone of today's message. Moses' rod and the rock in Horeb. The mosaic rod. This is a familiar stick for Moses. Moses, remember, it's very possible that this same stick could have been the stick that was with him in his 40 years of shepherding in Midian. It was a familiar stick. Now, I don't know about you, but I remember when my family would go camping when, we, when our children were younger. Inevitably, once we got our campsite set up, my boys would make their way out into the forest and find the right stick. Can I, can I get a show of hands? You know what I'm talking about. You gotta get the right stick. I mean, it has to have the right feel. And they would make their way over to the fire pit and they would start whittling the bark off of that stick. And I just need you to know that to this very day, there's about two dozen sticks on my side yard that I still cannot throw away or burn because they have meaning to the kids. This is like Moses. It's a familiar stick. He's known it. He's walked with it. He's used it. It's been a tool in his life. It's been a faithful stick. Moses used that staff. Remember, Moses in his first 40 years was trained militarily. And so if you're like Napoleon Dynamite, you know that that was his, also his bow staff. And he was able to use that as quite a great weapon. And so if there was an animal that would come to steal a sheep, he could use it to ward off the enemies, if you will. Faithful stick. And it was a famous stick. It was famous because, as God declared, it's the stick that you use to strike the waters. It's the same stick that he used in the first occurrence with the Pharaoh when he threw it on the ground and it became a serpent. And then their magicians did the same thing and their staffs became serpents. But Moses' serpent ate the other serpents. And he grabbed it by the tail, picked it back up, and it was his staff. This is a famous stick. People knew about Moses and his staff. Well, you have the mosaic rod, the first stick. Then you have the massive rock, the rock of Horeb. This is an amazing occurrence. For here they are without water. They're in the middle of the desert. God says he'll stand before Moses. And God tells Moses, strike the rock with the staff, with the stick that you have. Strike the rock and water will come forth. Now, I don't know about you, but I've never seen a rock that 
put forth water. I've never seen that. This was about to be a miraculous occurrence. And so, a familiar action, he's already used his staff to strike a number of things, but now he is going to have this faithful action. He's going to strike the rock because that's what God told him to do. And I want you to know it's a foreshadowing event. It's a foreshadowing. You see, just as Moses represents Israel, so the rock represents Christ. And as Moses is striking the rock, water is going to gush forth. So later, some 2,000 years later, Israel was going to strike Christ, who is the rock. And when Christ is struck, just like the rock of Horeb would gush forth water for life, Jesus said, I go to my Father, and because I go to my Father, the Holy Spirit will be sent. And the scripture tells us that even later, the Holy Spirit is like that river of living water that will flow forth from every believer. And so we see this foreshadowing event. Moses striking with a stick his rod, the rock, water gushing forth. That is what happened on that day. Water gushed forth, and the children of Israel had all the water they could drink to sustain their life. And so, the massive rock. And the magnificent result, or the miraculous result, was that water came so that God's people could drink. A miraculous moment. It was a life-giving moment, water that would sustain life. And again, a foreshadowing that that same living water is a sustainer for you and I, up to and including even unto eternal life. So like the children of Israel, do we realize that God is still very active in the lives of people today? God is still actively involved as much as the very water to drink and to sustain life for today. God is active in the hearts and the lives of people, actively engaged. And it's whether we acknowledge it or not, God is working. Whether we see it or not, God is amongst people and loving. God the Father, the Spirit, and the Son acutely engaged in our everyday activities. God's actively involved. He's still communicating with us. I love that. The God of the universe is still actively communicating with people. He speaks to us through the word. He speaks to us in a multiplicity of way. With the number of people that are sitting in this room, we could enumerate different ways that God has spoken to each one of us. God is speaking to his people. From the broadest sense to the minutely specific sense, God is most definitely providing and communicating with man. And in the midst of all of the difficulty 
in the midst of all the struggle, in the midst of all the heartache, in the midst of all the things that we see on the news, whether it's Fox News, CNN, the broadcast stations, wherever you're seeing, if you're reading the Oregonian, if you're reading the Jerusalem uh, Post, whatever you read where you see, if it's in your feed on social media and you see all of the havoc that is going on, don't be deceived for a moment. God is amongst mankind. He is aware, he is working, and he is with man, and he is for man. So just some questions that we might reflect on just thinking about this first stick and this first rock. Are there some areas in my life where I can definitively say there was something extraordinary going on there? Maybe you're not familiar with faith so much. Maybe you're someone who's walked with the Lord some 30 years of your life. There's no question in my mind that every single person who is here today, we could think back at a moment in our lives where something occurred and we say, now that was something else. I don't know how that just happened, but that was, that, that might have been God. That might have been a God moment. Maybe it was, you, 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 you look down to change the radio and it caused you to just kind of pull your steering wheel just a slightly bit and you missed hitting another vehicle or a person or an animal by just a, just a smidge. They say, what compelled me to change the radio? It's probably some cheesy 80s song on. You're like, I can't listen to that. That'd be PD listening to that. And you go to change your radio and something miraculous occurs. You think, what just happened there? Nod your head for a moment if you know what kind of moment I'm talking about where you just go, wow, that was something. I think if we could honestly reflect in a heartfelt honesty, we'd be able to say that may have been something supernatural going on. There's something there. What if we began to perceive these occurrences that in all reality are happening very regularly in the hearts and lives of people? What if we began to think and perceive these occurrences in our lives as a loving God who lovingly is caring for us, seeking to lovingly provide and direct our lives. How might we begin or on an increasing manner give him thanksgiving for all that he has done and honoring him in our lives? I just challenge you to reflect on this Easter. I want to give honor to God and I want to put hope and faith because of all that he is doing. Like the children of Israel, supplying and providing for their daily needs, he's taking care of mine as well. Okay. Well, let us turn to the pages of the New Testament, to the Gospels, the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Today, very specifically, we'll be looking at the Gospel of John in chapters 18 through 20, where really we're seeing Christ from the time that he was praying for himself in the Garden of Gethsemane all the way up to his crucifixion, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. You'll want to read John chapter 18, verses 20 on your own, perhaps today, perhaps later. I'd like to just walk through the events of that day for the sake of time, lest we read three full chapters and I keep you here that three hours. Well, we won't do that. So <laughs> I got that amen, come on. Uh, John, John chapter 18, verse one. Jesus, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's praying for himself. It's verses two through nine that the betrayal 
occurs. Judas Iscariot arriving there and the big mob and the arrest. It's verses 10 through 12 where Peter pulls out his sword and cuts off Malchus's ear. That's a great story for children's church. <laughs> There's old Peter pulling out his sword, taking a head lop chop over off of Malchus. Malchus ducking and getting his ear lopped off. That's kind of a great story. Jesus puts it back on for him. It's an amazing miracle. Well, we find in uh, verses 19 through 24, Jesus's preliminary hearing before Annas. He is going to be going through a kangaroo court, if you will, a court that is meeting by night. It was not a normal activity. This was absolutely off the norm, off the charts, unusual. Remember that Jesus predicted that Peter would deny him three times before the rooster crowed that following morning. And so we have in verses 15 through 18, Peter's first denial. Verse 24, the trial before Caiaphas. So he goes from Annas. They take him to Caiaphas. Then in verse 25, we have Peter's second denial. Verses 26 through 27, we have Peter's third denial. And it is there that the rooster crows. And one account tells us that as the rooster crows, Jesus is being escorted down a corridor and Jesus turns and catches eyes with Peter and Peter there, the remorse in his heart, for he said, I would not deny you, I'll go to the grave with you. And yet these three times, even in the presence of a young woman who was asking, aren't you a Galilean also? Surely I saw you with him. And he cursed and said, I do not know the man. And so Peter, with remorse, and so we come to chapter 18, verses 28 through 38, the trial before Pilate. So he's gone from Annas to Caiaphas, now before Pilate. And Pilate, of course, you remember that he asks, whom do you want me to release? Is it Barabbas or Jesus? And the people cry out, release Barabbas. And so they release Barabbas. And he asks, what shall I do with Jesus? And the people began to yell, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. He says in chapter 19, verses 1 through 15, behold the man. Behold the man. Here's Jesus, a man of absolute innocence, a man who has done only good in front of the people, but because of the jealous heart of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Sanhedrin, they have brought him to the place of death. And so the soldiers mock him. They flogged him. They stripped his back of his flesh. They put a red robe on him that red robe coagulating with the blood that would be bleeding from his back. They beat him. They put a crown of thorns on his head and they said, hail, king of the Jews. They blindfolded him, struck him with a stick and said, who is it that struck you? If you're the Messiah, you should know. Tell us who it is. They hit him in the face. It was a terrible thing. The prophet Isaiah tells us that he was beaten beyond recognition. Beaten beyond recognition. Terrible. And so we find in verse 16, Pilate delivers Jesus to be crucified. Chapter 17 is his walk with his own cross down to the place of the skull called Golgotha. It is actually Mount Moriah, which has tremendous history in the scripture. In fact, you could go back in the Old Testament, you'd find that there's a story that occurs with Abraham and his own son. And it is there that God, or God speaks through Abram, and Abram says God will supply himself a lamb. God will supply himself a lamb. Now forwarding, this is God supplying himself the lamb that would take away the sin of the world. The lamb that was slain from the foundations of the earth, Jesus, God the Son. And so Jesus is crucified in verse 18 at 9 a.m. in the morning. Criminals are crucified on his right hand and his left hand. 
There were charges posted above him. Jesus, he claimed to be king of the Jews. That's what the Jews wanted, but what was actually posted is Jesus, king of the Jews. So, Jesus' clothes are divided. There is darkness that comes over the land from the 12 o'clock hour to the 3 o'clock hour. Matthew records for us in chapter 27. Jesus designates his mother's provision. Here's Jesus dying upon the cross, seeing his mom, Mary. And he says to John, his beloved disciple, behold your mother, mother, behold your son. He was making sure that his mom was gonna be being taken care of. Can I get an amen? Amen. Dignity. Jesus is all about provision and providing. It's at 3 p.m. that he cries out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He's quoting Psalm 22. He says also at 3 p.m., I am thirsty. And so there they offered him wine and vinegar. And Jesus receives the wine and the vinegar. In chapter 19, verse 30, he makes that declaration, tetelestai, tetelestai, which means it is finished. It is finished. Literally saying in that Koine Greek, debt paid in full. The sin debt, the sin, the cumulative sin of 4,000 years of humanity and the future up to this very moment. He says, the sin debt is paid in full. It is finished. It is finished. And then Jesus died upon the cross. And upon his death, the curtain in the midst of the temple rent in two. There was a great earthquake. Later in verse 31, the Jews request to Pilate. They make a request in relationship to the Passover. And so the soldiers go out and they check for the life. They find that the thief on the left and the thief on the right are still alive And so as to not have this occurring during the time of the Passover, they would break the legs of those being crucified so that suffocation would occur very rapidly. But when they came to Jesus, Jesus was already dead. And one of the soldiers took his spear and pierced Jesus in his side. And in the piercing of the side, it was the fulfillment of the prophecy of the Old Testament. They shall look upon the one whom they have pierced. And water and blood came forth from the side of Jesus. And so, there are those in verses 35 and 37 who witnessed his death. Verse 38, we have this righteous man, Joseph of Arimathea, who comes and asks Pilate for permission to have the body of Jesus removed from the cross so that he could put it in a grave. And he is given that permission. Nicodemus brings the myrrh and the aloe, some 75 pounds, so that they could prepare his body. They wrap him and they bury him in a borrowed tomb. The tomb, Matthew chapter 27 tells us, was sealed with a large stone and with a Roman seal laid upon it. The Roman seal laid upon it so that no one could open the tomb without legal authority. And so they placed a guard, a Roman guard. This history would tell us this is some 16 men that would be on guard at all times watching the tomb so that no one could break in. And the purpose for this was very specifically so that there could be no claim that the disciples came by night and stole the body away and purported that he had risen from the dead. They put a Roman guard there so that could not happen. It was the fiercest fighting machine of the day. 
some 16 men, and they would take time in their shifts of sleep so that there was always eight men awake and ready. They would stand in a specific pattern, and that tomb was protected. No one was going to steal that body from the Roman guard. And so, the next thing we find in John chapter 20, the beginning of the chapter, verses 1 through 13, it's the next morning and the women come to the tomb. And this is the good day. You see, the disciples have been disheartened because the one whom they thought was going to be the king is now dead. But Jesus had told them that he would rise again. And so now, early in the morning, the women come to the tomb. And Jesus, in verses 14 through 18, appears to the women. And then later in John chapter 20, verses 19 through 23, Jesus appears to the disciples, and Thomas was not there. And then the next portion of Scripture, he comes and he's with the disciples, and Thomas is there. And Thomas had said, unless I put my hands where the nails were and put my hand in his side, I will not believe. And he said, Thomas, come. Put your hands where the nails were in my hands. And Thomas came and put his finger where the nails were. And then he put his hand in his side. And he said, my Lord, my God, Jesus was alive. Jesus had risen from the dead. And Jesus said, Thomas, because you have seen, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and will believe. Folks, that's you and I. That's you and I. And God says we're blessed when we believe. So we come to this second stick, if you will, and a second and a third stone. We find that Messiah's cross, or another word for the cross is a rood, Messiah's rood and the rock on Moriah. These are the second and the third rock. The cross that Jesus was crucified, it was typified in Moses' staff and the striking, the Israelites, striking him with the crucifixion, the rock. Paul tells us, Paul the apostle, writing to the church in 1 Corinthians, he tells us this, for they drank from that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. You see, back in that story with Moses at Horeb, Now, Paul is revealing that the rock that was there that was already being stricken was Christ, and it was Christ who was supplying the living water. And so now, upon the cross at Calvary, Moses, who represented the Israelites, the Israelites crucifying Christ. They said, his blood be on our shoulders. Yes, it was the Roman soldiers that did the act, But it was the Jews who said, his blood is on our shoulders. They are the ones. And they struck the rock. And because they struck the rock, Jesus being the rock, water of life was going to flow. He was going to be sending the Holy Spirit after he had ascended into heaven. And living water was forthcoming. So the cross, the coarsest means of death of the day, and the martyred rock. There on Mount Moriah, also known as Golgotha, the place of the skull. Christ the rock crucified. His death, his burial, and what we celebrate today, his resurrection. 
he is risen, and he is risen indeed. A miraculous resurrection. And the additional stone, there is the cross and there is the rock Jesus, but there's another stone. It's an additional stone. That stone is the stone that covered the grave. And that stone that had a Roman seal, that stone was removed by one angel. A massive stone, we're told. In fact, if you can read it in the original language, its size and its weight is depicted in the language that is used. It was a massive stone. And it was removed uphill, cast away, and rolled and laying on its side. The angel removing, and Jesus outcomes. He is alive. He is alive. And here's the beauty. We don't just have the biblical account, although that's all we need. Can I get an amen? But we have extra biblical accounts by historians of the day, Roman historians, who wrote, in, f- in fact, Flavius Josephus wrote these words. It's the realm of the historical Rome validating his resurrection. This is the history of the Romans. He writes, about this time there lived Jesus, a wise man, if indeed one ought to call him a man. For he was one who performed surprising deeds and was a teacher of such people as accept the truth gladly. He won over many Jews and many of the Greeks. He was the Messiah. And when upon the accusation of the principal men among us, Pilate had him condemned to a cross, Those who had first come to love him did not cease. He appeared to them spending a third day restored to life. For the prophets of God had foretold these things and a thousand other marvels about him. And the tribe of the Christians, so-called after him, has still to this day not disappeared. That's the history in the Roman Empire and the history that we have on record. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Jesus' resurrection validates everything that he has said. He has said many things. He is not a liar. He speaks the truth. On one occasion, he said, when the Jews asked him, hey, they said, show us a sign. He says, what sign, sign do you show to us since you do these things? Jesus answered and said to them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will rise, raise it up. And the temple he was referring to was the temple of his body. Destroy this temple, and in three days I will, rise, I will raise it up. The resurrection was the demonstrated sign that Jesus was going to give He said on one occasion, an evil and adulterous generation craves a sign, and yet no sign shall be given except for the sign of Jonah the prophet. For just as Jonah was three days and in three nights in the belly of a sea monster, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And so he was foretelling of his resurrection Another time, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and raised again on the third day. Jesus 
telling his people, I will rise from the dead, and therefore this resurrection. And it was a common knowledge for all of the people of the day. It wasn't just his 12 disciples, some of the women that were following Jesus. It was everybody understood. In fact, it says in one in one occasion, on the next day, which followed the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered together to Pilate saying, Sir, this is after he had been crucified and buried, they say, Sir, we remember while he was still alive how that deceiver said, after three days I will rise. They knew it. They understood it. They recognized that Jesus had claimed that he would rise again. Therefore, command the tomb be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night, steal him away, and say to the people, he is risen from the dead. And so the guard was established, the the stone was sealed. Well, you and I know the story. In fact, when the rock was rolled away, the scripture tells us that the Roman guard fell to the ground as dead men. They fell to the ground as dead men out of fear and trembling from what they saw. So... Jesus, Jesus is alive. He is risen from the dead and he lives forevermore, forevermore. Praise be to God. Not only do we have the biblical account, not only do we have the witness of those of that day who were historians and their account, we have the witness in our own hearts and in our own lives. God's work amongst us and God in his meeting amongst us. So I come to the third stick, and if you will, the fourth rock. The scripture describes mankind with stony hearts. Kind of just put your hand up by where your heart would be. Every one of us, at one point in time in our life, we've had hearts of stone. Some of you who have responded to the Lord Jesus Christ, or many of you, perhaps everybody here, but many of us, have responded, and Ezekiel the prophet describes this operation that God does. He'll take a heart of stone and he'll replace it with a heart of flesh. And so that fourth stone that I wanna talk about today is the heart of mankind, the heart of mankind. It's the stony heart. And the third stick that I wanna talk about is your cross and mine, your cross and mine. The question I would ask today, because Jesus died upon the cross with purpose. The purpose of his death was to make atonement for the sin of the world. He was the perfect lamb, and his blood covers all sin. So all mankind's sin, the Bible tells us the wages of sin is death. Every one of us in this room, because we were born into sin, we are all of the seed of Adam. Adam sinned, and sin is now carried in the seed, and we are all of the seed of Adam. Therefore, we are all inherently sinners. Can I get a amen? (laughs) I don't know. That doesn't feel so good. And the reality is for most of us, because we're beyond an age, I see Riker sitting right here in the front row. Hi, buddy. 
He's not of age. He doesn't understand at this point in time in his life completely. But most of us in this place were of age, and we've already transgressed by our own volition, which makes us sinners by our own choice. You see, each one of us, the Bible says there is none good, no, not one. We've all gone astray. We've all gone astray. You might remember when you were younger. I remember going into a grocery store full intent to steal a payday candy bar. Man, it was payday, I'm telling you. I went into old Stater Brothers down on uh, Golden West, and uh, I think it was Golden West and Warner Street, and uh, I went into Stater Brothers, and I was bent on getting a candy bar with no money. And I remember walking down the aisle, and I was trepidatious. I was shaking. And I remember as I was thinking, here goes, and I reached out for that payday, and I don't know what compelled me to look up, but I looked up, and back in those days, the grocery stores had angled mirrors all the way around so the managers could be three aisles over. And I looked up, and there was a guy like this looking at me. He had his nice green apron on, and I recognized him. He had been a cashier, and I knew that cat's watching me, and he's going to see me put that candy bar in my pocket, and he's going to catch me, and my dad's going to find out. And I remember throwing it back into the bin and running out the door. <laughs> the, open, the door's open. I basically hit the door on the way out, and then it got all the way open, and I ran home. And I remember the, the feeling on the inside. Before I reached out the candy bar, something on the inside was saying, don't do that. That's not right. Nod your head if you know what I'm talking about when you've had that feeling. Yeah, we've had that feeling. And... You should still be hearing those feelings today. Can I get an amen? Yeah. Listen, God has written his word upon the tablet of our hearts. We know good from evil because God has placed it there. And when we violate our conscience and do the thing, when our voice is saying, don't do that, and we do it, or it's saying, do that, and we don't do it, there's sin in our lives. We've committed, and it becomes transgression. I am a transgressor. And you also, you have the inherent sin, and you have the transgression of sin. And therefore, everyone here is in need of a Savior. We all need what Jesus accomplished upon the cross. He died for the sin of the world. Thanks be to God. I don't have to pay the penalty for my sin. That's good news. And you don't have to pay for the penalty of your sin. And Jesus validated all of that through his resurrection. And he made possible for all men to be rightly related to the Father. So someone might ask the question, well, look, if Jesus has paid for the sin of the whole world, then I'm golden because I'm in the world and I'm a sinner, so it's covered. And that makes sense. Except, it only applies if it is accessed. And the access point is yours and my decision. Will I have the blood of Jesus applied to my sin. 
It's like if you were in a court of law and you were being prosecuted and an attorney, a prosecuting attorney asks you a question, you are obligated on the stand to answer the question and if the question by you answering it would be self-incriminating, you have an unalienable right. It's yours because you are a U.S. citizen. It is an unalienable right. It's yours. But you have to answer the question unless you lay claim to the Fifth Amendment. It's yours, but it only works if you lay claim to it. And it's the same with the blood of Jesus. It's the same with the forgiveness of God. It's yours, but you must lay claim to it. You must lay claim. And if you're here today and you have not received the grace of God and you have not received and laid claim to that which Jesus has accomplished for you, Jesus dying that substitutionary death, today is the day of salvation. Today could be your day. And it is a day of celebration because God will take these walking corpse, if you will, these whitewashed sepulchers, these dead bones inside kind of stuff, and he'll come in if we will strike the rock of our heart and acknowledge what Christ has done for us and take up the cross and bear the cross God will take the heart of stone and he'll bring forth a heart that is alive. And from that heart, the Bible says, out will pour forth rivers of living water. Rivers of living water. Come on. We have the opportunity. Some have said, hey, salvation is free. Well, for you and I on this side, it cost us nothing. But from God's perspective, it cost him everything. And he did it because he loves you and he loves me. When a person puts their faith in Christ, God instantaneously forgives them of all their sin, past, present, and future. That's a pretty good deal. Here, God, here's my stone heart. I'll take that heart of flesh. Your Holy Spirit is in it. And you cancel all my sin, past, all my sin present, and all my sin future, come on, that's a good deal. <laughs> that's an epic deal. But it costs God everything. This is not cheap grace. It's not cheap grace. And it's the opportunity for us to live out our lives, to give glory to God. And so we're gonna end today's service in just a moment. I thought I might get an Amen. Hey, it's Easter, and I know there's pot roast in someone's crock pot at home, and you need to get home, and maybe it's just stirring the stew for the gravy, or the soup for the gravy. I don't know what it is, but before we leave, and I ask our worship team to come back up for a moment, this is an important moment for you and I. You may be here, and you're visiting family. You came to church today because someone invited you. Maybe you haven't been to church in a long time. Maybe you've not been around faith conversation in a long time. 
and you're here today and you realize, I have a stony heart. I've not put my faith in Christ. I've not had that supernatural surgical operation where the heart of stone is replaced with a heart of flesh. Listen, this is a sober moment. This is a sober moment. If your faith is not in Jesus today, the Bible, God's word says, you stand condemned in your sin. And that's a fearful place to be because none of us know the day or the hour that we will leave this life. We don't know. So today could be an important day for you. There are those of us who have responded to Jesus. We're no different than you. We've just responded and said yes, and we've acknowledged and received. And our sin is forgiven, thanks be to God. And we're trying to live our lives to bring glory to God, but we're, we still struggle, and we have stuff that happens, and trials, and tribulations, and heartache, and hardship, and tragedy strike, and all those things. We're no different except our faith is in Christ and our sin is forgiven and we know where we're going. We're gonna spend eternity with God in heaven and I want you to know something, heaven's gonna be epic. Come on. And it could even be more epicer if there's more people there. And so, don't leave today with the knowledge that you stand condemned in your sin. Will you make today the day where you said yes to Jesus Christ? and his offer of grace. It's received by faith. It's, it's like that Fifth Amendment, I lay claim to it by faith. Apply it to me, Lord. I'm gonna invite you to close your eyes for just a moment. While the music is playing in the background, will you just close your eyes and maybe bow your heads for a moment? And I'd invite really everyone to close your eyes. It's a sobering moment. It's between you and God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You're here today, and you know and recognize that you need Jesus. You just need Jesus. Maybe you're not sure. You're like, ah, I don't know, but I need to know. And I want to know more. It doesn't all necessarily flesh out for me. But I'm willing to take a step of faith say yes to the Lord. If you would like to be included in the prayer that we're going to pray in the next moment and receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, I would invite you to acknowledge that simply by raising your hand and say, remember me as you pray this morning. That's me. I want to receive and declare Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I'm going to look just around for a moment. So if that's you, simply raise your hand. Eyes are closed. I see that hand. God bless you. I'm just looking around. Eyes are closed and heads are bowed. No one's looking. That's you, and you'd say yes to Jesus. Are there any others? I see that hand. God bless you. More. I see that one. God bless you. You can put it down. I see that one back there. God bless you. I see that one, brother. God bless you. Others, you say yes. Yes, Jesus. Be the Lord of my life. Thank you for dying for me. I see that hand in the back. God bless you. Are there any others? I see that one. I see that one in the front. God bless you both. God bless you both. Come on. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Will you open your eyes and look this way for just a moment? In fact, you can stand as we do this. Will you stand with me?
Many hands went up. Many hands went up. We want to say welcome to the family of God, first of all. Come on, welcome to the family of God. Yeah. Praise the Lord. You say, Pastor Dave, is it that easy? Is it that easy? The initial receiving of the grace of God is simply that easy. It's an expression of faith. Yes, me. Include me. Yes. I would be remiss if I didn't tell you that being a follower of Christ is not easy. It is not easy. In fact, some would say it's a much harder life to live than it was before my exercising of faith. Because a transformation begins. A transformation begins. We'd like to help you with your walk of faith. We have some resources that we would like to get into your hands. We have cards that, I don't have one up here, but there's a card on your seat. If you would indicate, just write your name and your email address, your phone number, and say, today I've decided to follow Jesus. And there's a bucket up at the, right kind of at the turn as you're going out. You can just drop that bucket in there. That gives us the ability, thank you, here's one of those cards. That gives us the ability to contact you. We won't badger you. We'll badger you a little. No, we won't. We just simply want to help. We just want to help. We want to encourage you. We want to help you find a good Bible if you don't already have one. We want to help you connect with some other people who love God and love Jesus. We want to encourage you to come and be a part of growing in your faith by gathering on a weekly basis. We'd love to connect you with a life group and get connected with some folks. Hey, you probably got a lot of questions. How many of us? have had a lot of questions when it comes to the Bible. Sure, all of us. We got questions. We got questions. Some of your questions won't have answers that we would even have. But God has answers. And to the questions that he doesn't have answers, we have faith. God, you're in charge. So will you, will you help us be an encouragement to you by filling one of these out? If you raised your hand and said yes to Jesus, will you do that? Will you find one of these cards and make sure you fill that out before you leave today and let us know? And we'll get in contact with you with some suggested next steps. Well, the Bible says if we confess with our mouth Jesus Christ is Lord and we believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we'll be saved. So let's all declare Jesus Christ is Lord on the count of three. One, two, three. Jesus Christ is Lord. Okay, now wait, 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 wait. That's kind of, that was kind of puny. Now listen, I coached football for a lot of years. And I've seen some folks get pretty excited on the sideline. Now, I've seen some of you watch football, and I've seen you get pretty excited on your couch. This is exciting. Jesus is alive, and he's Lord. So let's raise the roof on the count of three and declare Jesus Christ is Lord. One, two, three. Jesus Christ is Lord. Come on, come on. That's exciting. Dennis, I don't know what song you might have just kind of brewing in you, but we're going to sing a chorus. But before we sing that chorus, we're just going to say a quick word of prayer. And then Pastor Dennis is going to play us and lead us through that chorus. And then he's going to close us in a word of prayer. And then we're going to be dismissed to have some fellowship 
If you would like prayer after service, there'll be some four couples up in the front over here to my left that would love to pray with you. If you receive Jesus, you might come and let one of them know and you could give them your card and they'll make sure that we get it. If you have other prayer requests that you want us to be praying with you about, there's a little spot up in the corner up there for prayer requests. Stop by there, write out a prayer. Put it in the bucket and we'll believe God with you. Can I get an amen? Amen. amen. Will you pray with me this morning? Father, we thank you for your great plan of salvation. We thank you, God, for those who have exercised faith today. They raised their hand and said, God, thank you. I am a sinner and I need Jesus' work. And we've laid claim to that by faith and say, yes, I am a participant in the new covenant of the shed blood of Jesus Christ for the atonement of my sin. And I'm just excited to be adopted into the family of God. I bear your name now, Father. And I want to live my life to glorify Jesus. So thank you, God. Thank you, God. And we rejoice and say, thank you, Father, for your family is great because of Jesus. And so, Lord, will you go as families celebrate, as families eat together, as they have fellowship together. God, will you bless richly the work that you have accomplished even this day in our midst. We love you. We praise you. And we thank you that next Sunday we can come back and have some time together again as a family with the kids in the children's area and the toddler area, and we just get to celebrate together. God be glorified. We love you. We thank you. And everybody said a strong amen. Amen. Pastor Dennis, lead us in talk.